we want to generate in our kids curiosity. And I want to say that this is very important to know is that being curious about sex, we know this from research, it does not equal having sex. Welcome to today's podcast episode. I hope that you have had an incredible week, whatever you've been up to. If like me, you are nearing the very end of school holidays, I salute you. I see you. I hope that you have really enjoyed your school holiday time, whatever that looks like for you and your family, if you do happen to have kids. I'm going to presume a lot of you listening today do have children or perhaps want to have children one day or you're an auntie or your friends have kids because this is a pretty parent-related topic. It's the topic of having that conversation with your kids. And by that conversation, I mean talking to your kids about sex. Now, this is a topic that I have had so many requests to talk more about over here on the podcast. Over on social media, particularly on Instagram stories, I'm always really transparent that I've always tried. I'm sure I don't get it right all the time, but I have always really tried to give the kids accurate, honest, reliable information whenever we're engaging in conversations that have to do with the topic of sex. And it is, it's a series of conversation. Gone are the days of this like one and done birds and bees chat where your parents give you very limited information and gone are the days of learning wholly and solely from your peers at school. I think nowadays we're so much more informed and we're so much more aware of how important it is to have really honest uh, conversations with our kids. I've always thought like on the topic of sex that it's really important that our kids do get accurate information from us so that they know when they come to us with any sort of topic, we're giving them the right information. It can be hard if you have grown up in a household though, where it wasn't super easy to chat about these sorts of things. You know, if there was shame and stigma around a lot of these topics, then when you grow up yourself, it can be really confronting when you have to try and find the right language and the right tone and also deliver it in an age-appropriate way. And so I completely understand why so many parents have reached out over the years and said, help, I need to have some guidelines. I need parameters on what actually is age-appropriate and how to have these conversations. I think a lot of the time as adults, we get in our own heads, you know, and we think, oh, it's going to be so tricky or, you know, I just don't want to start this conversation and you can put it off. But really, it's not just one conversation. It's a series of conversations that are going to expand as your child gets older. And so when I was thinking of inviting a guest onto the podcast to have this conversation with me, I could not go past Corey Silverberg. So Corey was raised by a children's librarian and a sex therapist. So Corey grew up to be a sex educator and author and also a queer person as well. They spend a lot of their time reading, writing, and talking about sex and gender. 
Corey was a founding member of the Come As You Are Cooperative and also worked as a researcher and television consultant in Canada for over 10 years. Corey is the co-author of four books, including The Ultimate Guide to Sex and Disability, What Makes a Baby, Sex is a Funny Word, and also, you know, Sex. Corey also happens to have a master's degree in education and they have developed and facilitated workshops for hundreds of agencies and organizations. I adore Corey. I had such an enjoyable time chatting with them. We spoke both post and pre-interview, so it was a long conversation, but I was really able to, I guess, open up in a way that I didn't know that I would be able to with someone who I was meeting for the first time. But Corey just creates this environment where you do feel really safe. And we had a really meaningful conversation just to me personally that we didn't record, but it's one that I will just treasure and always remember and always carry with me, I am sure. But in today's conversation, we get into it. We talk about ways that you can respond to your child when they come to you and say, what is sex? We talk about age appropriate responses. I talk about some conversations that I've had with my kids that I did not see coming that involve all sorts of interesting explanations and things that caught me by surprise and checking my own, like my own internalized biases and judgments and all sorts of things. Parenting is not easy. And if you have kids, you know that. I mean, even if you don't have kids, you know that. You will often hear parents say, like, my children are my greatest teachers. And that's not because our kids sit us down and instruct us through a lesson. It's because they bring these things to the surface that we have to look at and we have to make a decision on how we handle things moving forward. I, for one, am really, really grateful to people like Corey. I'm so grateful for these resources. I'm grateful for their time. And I just hope that this conversation today is really helpful for our listeners who might be struggling with this topic right now. I know so many of you have followed along uh, since I had the boys, and I know that your children are of a similar age. So I know you're having similar thoughts and similar conversations. And I just really, really hope that this is helpful for you. As always, it would mean the world if you let me know. Jump on over. You can slide into my DMs if you're not comfortable leaving a comment. That's totally fine. Uh, But if you are comfortable leaving a comment, please do, because I always see those and I can usually get back to those a little faster as well. All right, let's get into my chat with the incredible Corey Silverberg. Just quickly, a word from today's sponsors. Unless, of course, you're one of our Venti members. In that case, there are no ads and your episode is about to keep playing. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
Corey, thank you so much for staying up late and making this booking with me to have this chat. I've been so looking forward to it. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So when it comes to conversations around sex, I know a lot of adults can get quite uncomfortable and feel a bit lost with how to communicate with their children, particularly when kids are young and Mm -hmm. kids come up to them and say, what is sex? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I know that you've got great books and resources and this is your bag. Like you talk Mm -hmm. to adults about how to handle that sometimes uncomfortable conversation. Yes. Yes. What age do you typically find children begin being curious about what sex is? Well, it depends on how we define sex, right? So, because they're not going to, I mean, sometimes when they hear that word, then they will say, what is, what is that, right? What is sex or what is that? Um, but, you know, when I'm talking to parents and even I'm, so I both talk to parents and I am a parent, um, you know, we're, when, when we think about sex as this broader thing, which is sex is something that, that has to do with our bodies. It's, it's about ways we make ourselves feel good in our bodies and ways we share that feeling with other people. It also is about the way we feel about our body, right? So gender is also part of sort of sexuality. So when we think of that larger picture, there's so much about, there's so many opportunities to talk about quote unquote sex when our kids are babies, right? So for I mean, the example I give is actually farting, right? So that's one of the earliest examples that an infant begins to understand that their body has an impact on other bodies, that things that feel a certain way in their body can have other people respond in ways that may not be uh, um, predicted, right? So, so for a lot of people, have, farting would be a, a good experience, right? It's a release of pressure. Um, and yet you might be changing your child's diaper and there could be a lot of smell, right? And so maybe, and if you're someone who's not good with, you know, this is not, it's not certainly not judging parents at all. You might be someone who's like, makes that a playful thing. Like, oh, it's stinky. Or you might be someone who's like, oh, that's gross. Um, and there's a connection between something that's happening in their body and this other person, which is you. Um, and that like right right away, this is like an opportunity where we, we are can already practice how we talk about bodies around our kids, right? And this is before, I mean, I'm not saying that they're aware of it, right? I mean, an infant isn't aware of what we're doing, but it's an opportunity to start practicing just as in the bathtub, right? So like when, once our kid, once our sort of kids are old enough to be sitting in a, in a bathtub by themselves or like sitting on their own, but that we're in there, often we're going to remind them where to wash, right? So how are we saying, how are we telling them the parts to wash, right? So are we saying, make sure you wash your bum, which is, so I'm Canadian, so that's the word in the States they use butt a lot. Actually, I should just ask you, what's the word that you use for that part of the body with kids? I feel like Australians use bum more than butt. It's 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 interchangeable, but I'm going to go with bum. bum. So I have to say that that, that when I was doing my second book, and there's, there's anatomy, right? So we teach about anatomy. And I started, part of my process is that I read drafts with lots of kids and lots of parents. And I just used bum because it's the word I use. And I was in, but I was living in, in New York at the time. And people were, some people were confused. And they were like, that, do you mean like, like homeless person? Like they thought it was like a, a, a slang for, like this very old slang for someone who's homeless. And I had to, okay. And so then in fact, because the book is in the States, we had to add, we used both words. Anyway, um, you know, so do we say, 
do we say make sure you clean? And then we use a, a word like bum, which is not actually, I mean, you don't want to clean that part, but actually what you want to clean is the anus. You want to clean right, you want to get right in there. Um, and are we using proper words, right? So, so to me, there's opportunity to talk about sex from the earliest age. But, you know, when most people think of the word sex, of course, what they think of is like adult sexual behavior. Um, and so in terms of that, I mean, you know, it changes. It depends with kids. I mean, there can be you know, kids who are very verbal and are really listening and are really interested. You know, you can easily get a three or four year old who know, who hears that word. Maybe it's on the radio or it's a snippet of a conversation that was actually not meant for them. And then they're going to know. And, and, you know, the other thing is that kids are so... Um, uh, perceptive, right? They know they're paying attention to us all the time and they're paying attention to us in ways that we are not paying attention to ourselves or to them. So if, if you're having a conversation with a friend or with a partner and there's a certain change in energy, a kid that notices. Prick up. Yeah, totally, totally. And so then they want to know, like, what is that? Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, so that can be as early as three or four, you know, in general, in terms of like, so our first book, our books are all kind of sequential in terms of age. So the first book, which is about where babies come from, is sort of four to six year olds, um, which is often, um, I know not in your case, but in people's cases who have consecutive children, you know, often there's a new, there might be a sibling coming around that age. And so then they are like, where, how is this happening? Right. So the questions about like, where do babies come from? You know, we think we tend to think of like the main questions in sex ed is like, where do babies come from? And then kind of questions about puberty. But there's lots of ones in, in between. Yeah. And I particularly love that your second book is called Sex is a Funny Word, because mm -hmm. I think even just that title alone, Corey, that is dialogue for parents, right? Your child right. turns around to you and says, what sex or, you know, brings up however that gives you a line. You can say, well, sex is a funny word. And mm -hmm. that leads into it's funny. It can be a funny word because sex can mean, you know, gender. It can be something mm -hmm. that adults or consenting people do. Mm -hmm. Sex can mean X, Y, Z. Sex can mean sometimes how you feel about mm -hmm. other people. I think that that just, that alone opens up the conversation beautifully and reminds us as parents you don't just have to hear that question and think automatically, okay, it's time to sit them down and explain what intercourse is. You right. can go, okay, what's age appropriate? Right, right. And this, but I think this is, I mean, this is great. I mean, your answer was great. I want you to, <laughs> want you to tell all kids that answer. Um, but this is what parents are worried about. And I think, I mean, it's an interesting question as to how you got to where you are to, to have this way of talking because for most people, because they didn't get a chance to talk about this stuff very much when they were younger and maybe even when they're older, they do think it's about intercourse, right? And I understand, like, and I'll say, like, in my, the book that I wrote about where babies come from, we don't show intercourse, we don't use that word because it is a lot to think, like, well, I'm going to start talking to my four-year-old about intercourse. <laughs> like, and I don't think you have to, actually. I think all the things you did are a much better way of starting that conversation. And then you see what your kid wants to know more of, right? Because, again, the other thing is, like, kids often just get bored, right? They don't, they don't like, our worst fear is about where this conversation is going to go. If it was led by the kid, it wouldn't go there. It would, like, turn to ice cream much sooner than they think. Yeah, and one thing I've found is it's not really been, in my case, a situation where I've answered the question and that's it. It's a mm -hmm. series of small conversations and I can see in the short progression with my two from perhaps maybe the age of five to now, they're turning 10 at the end of this year. Each time we talk about sex, it is pushing forward for more information mm -hmm. because they have more comprehension. And 
I really do try to remind myself, I don't have to get all of the information into this one conversation. Right, right. I try and remind myself to just be factually accurate with them mm-hmm. because I want them to know that they can trust me. So mm-hmm. that what I say to them is true. And then if they're out in the playground and they hear something different, they at least know they can come to me and get the right response. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, I th- and again, I mean, that's, I think, a big challenge for a lot of parents is that is the feeling like I have this one chance, I'm going to screw it up. <laughs> right. And again, you know, we need to say like, none of us got the sex education we deserve. Right. So we're really just thrown in. Right. And it's not something the schools do not good, do a good job of this. Um, and neither does the media. So, you know, and I think it's kind of everyone's responsibility. Right. I think we learn about sex from all these places and we learn different things and that's good. But but it really is on parents to 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 have these conversations. But it's so important to know that it's not just one conversation, that it, it will be this incremental thing. It surprised me how much information my boys actually tend to get from people at school or the conversations mm-hmm. they're having. You know, I said to you before we hit record, one of my kids got off the bus recently and said to me, Mom, what's teabagging? And <laughs> never in a million years, Corey, yeah. did I think yes. that I would be explaining to my nine-year-old what teabagging right. means. But I wanted to give him the accurate response because yes, I didn't good. want him to then go on and say it, use it in a different context. Yeah. Um, you know, it's similar. Like one of them a couple of months ago used the word pussy in the okay. way of calling oh, someone weak. And okay, I said, okay. I'm going to stop you there and explain okay. why we're not doing that. Right. And I want you to understand what the word pussy actually means. Right. So <laughs> it's one of those things as an adult, like it's tempting sometimes to want to wrap them up in bubble wrap and protect them. Mm-hmm. But they're having these conversations and these exchanges at yeah. a young age. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And younger and younger. And it really is. And the pandemic is a part of it, too, because all of our kids were more exposed to more media without our being us being around. Because, I mean, for some parents, there was a time when we monitored this, this stuff. And, and, and still, I mean, there's ways of monitoring. But... But during the pandemic, there just wasn't. And be, and it's a very kind of natural thing for all kids to want to be watching TV shows that are for kids that are slightly older, reading books for kids that are slightly older. They all kind of read up, they watch up. Um, and so then they're exposed to this language, right? And then they repeat it. And I do think like, I mean, you know, it was interesting with our third book, which is about puberty. So in that book, we do define all, like the kind of major sex acts teabagging is not in the book <laughs> so but it, but it's a book for 10 year olds so you know i mean in some ways it should have been except i guess the thing is like i really think like that kind of stuff is really what i feel like needs is good to be done at home um because because it, because it is a little strange like i wouldn't put it in a book because like i'm not gonna i'm an adult i don't have a relationship with people's kids who are reading the book like i, I feel like it goes a bit beyond the kind of I'm an educator and I'm going to offer you like, so of course there's a definition of anal sex and of oral sex and of penile vaginal intercourse. And even that I was like a little bit like, ugh, this is not really my job um, because mostly my work is around helping them talk about relationships and gender identity and sexual identity and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I knew that parents, some parents needed a beginning. Like, so for example, I think, I mean, there may be a lot of listeners right now that want to know what exactly did you say to your kid, first of all, about teabagging and second of all, about the word pussy, right? Yeah. So first of all, uh, I, said, yeah. I said to him, how did you hear that? How did someone say that to you? Because I didn't want to jump 
from what my initial reaction was and mm-hmm. make, make an assumption. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think, you know, I think we've all seen that meme where it's like, you know, my two-year-old just asked me what sex is. So I explained it and I said, why? And then they said, because mum said lunch will be ready in two sex, you know? Right. So I didn't want to get my context <laughs> mixed up. I didn't want exactly. to, maybe he was chatting about the queen and the coronation and tea bags, but right he explained more of the context and the conversation and that it had come from older kids from a different school, but they were yelling it backwards and forth. And what did it mean? And I said to him, I said, I'm going to give you the honest answer and my understanding of it. Teabagging is an expression for when someone with testicles dips their testicles into someone else's mouth, often when they're not expecting it. You know, maybe a group of people hold them down as a joke, it's a prank, or they're asleep and people think it's funny, but it's absolutely not funny. And as a nine-year-old would be, he was repulsed. Mm. Right, yes. Absolutely repulsed, but not to the point that I didn't feel he could handle that information. It didn't traumatize him, but it was enough for him to know moving forward he didn't want to use that expression. Right, right, yes. And then when the conversation about when my son used the word pussy in, he used it like as if it would be interchangeable for wuss or for wimpy, right? A lot of kids do use it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I asked for further clarification. I said, what do you mean by that? And that's when it became clear that he was using it as a way to explain being weaker. And I said, I want to explain to you why I don't want you to use that word in that context. Mm -hmm. The reason I don't want you to use that word in that context is that pussy is a slang word for a vulva. Mm -hmm. And when you make a vulva be something negative, it can hurt the feelings of people that have vulvas. And Mm -hmm. that's misogynistic. And we're not misogynistic in this household. We're feminists. And that's how I talk with the boys. And Sometimes people say to me they're too young. I'm like, no, they actually no. understand it. Of it's, course. It's amazing if you just deliver it with simplicity and empathy and honesty, mm-hmm. kids understand it. Like this is a little bit different and I know we're going off on a tangent here, but relatable as well. I've been talking with the kids about thin privilege mm-hmm. and what it's like to live in a fat body. Whilst mm-hmm. I don't have the lived experience of living in a fat body, I'm trying to understand the biases that are presented to people that are in bigger bodies. Mm-hmm. And so, we've been having conversations around that. Great. And then recently, I had a podcast on and during this podcast, one of the guests was telling an embarrassing story. Mm-hmm. And part of the embarrassing story was about um, a co-worker spitting food onto his lip and he licked it off because it was awkward. But right. in the lead up, to, and it was funny, like we all yeah. laughed. <laughs> but in the lead up, the setup, the foreshadowing to that was this woman is really large. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, and my son said to me, mum, what does it have to do? Like, he goes, there was something about that story that bothered me. Mm-hmm. Why was that information included about being in a fat body? Mm-hmm. And I said, and again, nine years old picking up yeah. on that, doing a better job than me. Yeah. But I think it just goes to show that sometimes as adults we go, oh, it's too politically correct and I don't want to do that and how many hoops do we have to jump through? But it's so simple. And kids, yeah, yeah, get it. And and also, you're. I mean, the way you're doing it, it is political, and you're doing it in a way that's grounded in care, which is like, let's care for other people. Let's not. Why are we being mean to other people? Um, why are we 
talking about certain bodies as if they are less worthy worthy than other bodies. And and I mean, I guess the other thing is like the other thing when people say they're too young is like no, they're not, and they absolutely they absolutely see injustice and bias and racism and sexism and classism. They see all of that, but they don't have language for it, and they don't always know how to parse it out. Right? They 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 will absolutely know when something doesn't feel right. But what you've done over the years is given them a language to like the reason that one of your kids could say why did he say that person was fat like what does that have to do with it is because you're already you've already given him this language and it's like it's like it's critical thinking skills and it's media it's also media literacy right that like he's noticing this thing that the radio producer podcast producer probably didn't even notice because it just goes without saying that 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 someone who did something embarrassing is probably going to be fat right so it's yeah i mean and the, the other thing that always bothers me or just it, it's just it's untrue with people that's kids are too young is if a kid is too young for something most of the time they're just going to ignore it right like i think showing kids um uh like actual violence or even depicted violence but not in animation but like it really i think that can be really harmful i think kids seeing like actual pornography can also sometimes be harmful depending on what but when it includes violence and harm um but you know with our books which are all about sex and they do deal with like very complicated topics, including sexual abuse. They're comics. And my experience over 10 years of having these books is that when it's something's too much for a, for a kid, they just read over it. They don't sit there and get traumatized by this comic. They just get bored. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, so, you know, the things that, I mean, again, and you know, a, a lot, our books are, my books are published in the United States. And so we deal with a lot of what's going on in the States around book banning and, and, and all of this rhetoric around protecting kids, but it's not, none of it is about protecting kids because what kids need is that information, right? And your kid is going to, the other thing, I think, the, the, uh, I know we can move on to other, something else, but the other thing to say about this is also like, and your kid absolutely may grow up and have a different opinion than you about things, but you're giving them this, you're giving them this language. And as they get older, they're going to, they're going to, that's the other thing I, I'm, I'm saying now all the time when I get to be anywhere and say things is like the idea that we can make kids something is ridiculous, right? You can't make a kid anything. You can pressure them and bully them into pretending to be something, right? And I mean, you know, it's terrible, but I think all of us as parents do that in in little ways. Varying you know, ways. Like, in varying ways. But just like when you're just exhausted and you have nothing left and then and your kid gets that they've now crossed a line and then they feel bad, right? And then I notice that I'm like, oh God, I shouldn't. <laughs> you really don't want to do that. You don't, we don't want to make our kids feel responsible for our feelings, but we are human. Um, but um, yeah, I lost my train of thought, but I'll stop complaining now. <laughs> Please keep going. I could listen to you speak for hours. I love that with your books, they are so um, colorful and engaging. It's really, really important content, but it's delivered in a very palatable and simple way. Mm-hmm. And I know that with my kids, just having books around the house like that makes it so easy to have these conversations that could be a little tricky for people. You know, if you have stigma and shame around something and you feel embarrassed, it can then be transferred onto your children. But if you have this book and you can read it together and look at the topics together and have conversations around it, yeah, you might have a different opinion possibly, but it at least allows you to access your child and have those chats and address the things that they're likely curious about anyway. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Yeah, and and that's I mean that's the best thing. I mean I do always say like you don't need to agree with the things in the books and and um, but the books become a reason to talk about things, right? And so when there's topics like sex or sometimes like you know trauma or grief or like other complicated things like we don't I mean unless we work so like because I'm a sex educator, my kid hears stuff about sex education all the time, but if it's not your work, when does it come up? Right. And so, so yes, so absolutely. Books are like, uh, you know, they're, I think the most important thing is that they're just this thing that you can use between you and your kid to have conversations, including like, what, what didn't you like about that? Or what did they get wrong? So I have a kid who's non-binary. And so a lot, a lot of the books that they read are full of binary gender stuff. And so, but we don't not read them. Um, and we look for stuff that includes them, but also that's not, that's not enough because they're a big reader. So a lot of what we do is just like, Oh, what, what, you know, what did you not like about that? And what, what how would you, how would you end the story differently, et cetera. And, and that's also really useful and kids love, you know, it, that's, that's, it's not, you know, uh, um, there can be a lot that can come of those conversations. Yeah, a child yeah. genuinely typically feels good when a parent shows interest and that interest can be through curiosity and questioning, absolutely. Right. Yeah. When it comes to primary school age children, perhaps, you know, grade two to five, and mm-hmm. they are having these conversations with their parents or caregivers about sex, what are some of the essential components that you think parents should consider at least, including in their responses? Well, So, okay. I mean, so there's the how to do it and then what to say. So the how to do it, I think like you demonstrated it perfectly, which is like, it's to like begin with curiosity, right? So like ask, so if if your kid comes to you with a question, oh, that's, that's such an interesting question. What what made you ask it? Or did you hear that word from somewhere? Um, And and part of that is because you want more context. So you want to know what question you're actually being asked. But also it is that we want to generate in our kids curiosity. And I want to say that this is very important to know is that being curious about sex, we know this from research, it does not equal having sex, right? So in fact, we know that kids that get um, comprehensive sex education start having sex at a later age, right? So learning about sex doesn't make us, it, it might make us more interested, but it doesn't, the data shows, it doesn't make us actually go out and do it. And we want our kids to be curious because we want them to be asking these questions, you know, and it's part of, it's a safety thing, right? So when someone, when they're a teenager and someone comes up and wants them to do something, uh, we want them to not only be like, what is this, you know, is this not just like, what is this person about? And are they sus? And should I be mindful? But also, what do I want? Right? So much, and and there is a gender component of this, right? Certainly the way that girls are raised is very different than the way boys are raised. Certainly so many girls are raised not to ask themselves, what do I want? Right? And to know that what they want and is valuable. And that's actually should be where everything starts from. So we really want to start with curiosity. Um, and so I get, yeah. So I said in terms of how we do it in terms of what, you know, with primary age kids, there are just some basics like the, And again, you, you did this, right? Like when you were talking about the title of the book, we want them to know that sex is many things, right? We don't want to say sex is intercourse because that's not what it is, right? If you look at 
the media that kids are exposed to and certainly adults are exposed to it, like books and movies. Sexuality is so many things that isn't, that aren't about making babies. Right. So when we start, so in our books, we never start with that. Right. In fact, in our second book, there's nothing about reproduction because sex is all these other things. Um, so we want, so, you know, for me, the answer is always like, well, that word means a lot of things. Um, and then sometimes I will break it down just to be really clear. But like, so usually people mean use that word to talk about the different kinds of bodies, which people think of as male and female, although there's more options than that. Um, sex is also this thing that, that, and then, I mean, I like how you, you use your language. So you said adults or consenting people did, right? We all have to figure out what we're comfortable with because of course it's not just adults who have sex. Certainly a lot of teenagers have sex and and whether you are okay with that or not, we actually want teenagers to be coming to us with their questions. We want them to know how to do it in a way that reduces the harm. Um, and, that sex, and that one of the things about sex is that it's one of the ways people make babies, right? So I'll often sort of start with that. Um, I think they deserve those, uh, as you're saying, kind of the basic kind of factual answers. The other stuff that I think is important is, is again, just for them to know about, so in terms of gender, they should just know that people act like there's two genders, but there's more than two, right? And again, if even if in like your worldview is like there's not like maybe your worldview, not yours, but someone's worldview is like, mm, there should only be two. I mean, what I would want that person to say is like, uh, most people act like there's two genders. That's how we think about it in our home, but in other places they think about it differently, right? And again, I mean, that is kind of a safety issue, right? Because what puts kids, I, I was a queer kid, what puts kids at risk one of the things that puts us at risk is when we can't imagine a future for ourselves, right? So if all we're ever told is there's boys and girls or there's, or there's straight people and there's marriage, right? And we know that those are, that, that we're not that, right? So we're, maybe it's a gender thing. So it's a boy girl thing, or maybe it's like a heteronormative thing. So it's like, well, I don't want to get married and I'm a boy, but I'm not really interested in girls. That's dangerous, right? It's dangerous to have someone who can't, who can't imagine a future. It's getting a lot easier with media and with the internet because of course kids find you know there's now we have lots of gay celebrities and we certainly have more and more trans celebrities right so it's harder to pretend that gay the queer people and trans people and gay people haven't always been here um but it's not impossible and it is still a, kind of a big risk so that's why for me you know I think kids need to know about the world out there they also should know about your values right so that's the other thing I would say is like it's time for you, for ever, for parents to be thinking about what do I want my kid? How do I, how, what do I want my kid's future to look like in terms of relationships, in terms of their identities, and then to start sharing that, right? That this is how, and so that might be about this is how I was raised, right? So you know, in when I was raised, misogyny was absolutely ignored, <laughs> but in our household, as you said, we don't, we you know, we're not okay with misogyny and we're feminists. Um, you know, so, so much of I get that the other thing I'll say, and this is the last thing I'll say is that um, parents get concerned about like, how do I talk to my kids about sex? But so much of it is about talking to them about your, our lives and not the, not the sexual activity part. Right. So I don't think it makes sense for us to ever really talk to our kids about our sexual activity in a detailed way, even our past. Right. We might say stuff like, I had some experiences that I liked and some I didn't like, right? I'm not really, I'm never going to go in more detail than that with my kids, but I will talk about um, early experiences with crushes and, and feeling like I couldn't tell people how I felt, right? That feeling of like, you could never, 
tell someone you were you had a crush on them um and those are stories that stuff is like really important and also then you get to say like this is how it was for me and this is how i wish it was and this is what i hope for you right so i hope that you know that you can say to someone if you like them and they may say they don't like you back and also we're going to survive that together <laughs> right but um but it can be different yeah that um, storytelling component, I think, of parenting provides so much connective tissue. I know mm-hmm. uh, in my household at the moment, kids in grade four, we are talking about crushes. It's mm-hmm. prevalent. They talk about it. They come home from school. One of the boys came home from school and said, I feel like I'm a therapist because so-and-so broke up with so-and-so. And I was like, you're definitely my kid. Um, <laughs> but they are having these conversations. And so I'll offer up a story of, oh, I remember being in grade three and it was Easter and a boy that I had a crush on bought me a couple of Easter eggs and I felt my whole stomach drop and I was so scared and I wanted to run away, but I also liked him. Mm-hmm. And I'll talk about that and then that will open up a different conversation. And so I love that advice of like, you don't have to go into the details, into the weeds, but thinking about and talking with your kids in an appropriate way about your own experience mm-hmm. and letting them be curious as well. Yeah. And also what you did there, which is so important is like grounding it in the body. Right. So don't, sometimes, sometimes what we do is we'll ask like, how did that feel? And, and so the, and by the time a kid is in grade three or four, they already know that the answer is supposed to be like happy, sad, scared, like a feeling word. Um, and so it doesn't always deliver. It doesn't, it doesn't get deeper, but to talk about like, how did it feel in your body? Did you notice how did your stomach feel? Were your hands were your hands sweaty? Like, did you feel yourself getting flushed? And the way that we can help our kids be embodied and pay attention to their bodies by doing exactly what you said, which is talk about how it does works for us, right? So recently, I was in the car with my kid, and a very aggressive person approached us, and I got really scared. And then they went away, and then I was still kind of scared, and so I just talked about it, right? My kid's in the back seat, and I was just like, "Oh yeah, my stomach, my heart is still pounding, and my stomach is like in knots." Um, and this is something we can do. It's hard though, because of course, lots of us are like live with trauma that we haven't had the opportunity to kind of unpack, and so um, so sometimes that doesn't feel safe, right? To kind of go to to really be like to get all somatic, but it's certainly when we can do it, it's really helpful because again, I think we use like a lot of euphemisms around sex and also with feelings to not actually like, it's different when we're talking about like, how did it feel in your body? Right. And, and I think that is a perfectly fine question to ask a kid, ask, you know, a kid, (laughs) your kid, right. I wouldn't ask someone else's kid about that, but, but in our home, we can ask that question. And I mean, the, the, the other thing I'll say about this, since we're talking though, is that Parents should know that when you start doing this, then you get the questions, right? And so kids, kids are like unabashed, right? If a, if a kid knows it's safe to ask a question, they won't, they'll ask questions that are incredibly shocking, right? Um, because they don't know this. I mean, I remember I was once being interviewed by a, a journalist and she shared that, I don't know, her kid was much younger, um, but so maybe like four, three or four. And they asked, the kid asked if they could smell their mother's vagina, right? And the answer was no, obviously, obviously that's the answer. But in fact, that wasn't like, that was just a kid who like, they, 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 they don't know all the boundaries just yet. And they were curious, right? And so it was fine. And so they heard like, no, and this is why this is a part of my body. This is for me. <laughs> but, but, but it's a perfectly like natural thing for a kid to ask. And it's not a sign of anything bad, right? Yeah. Yeah, we don't have to assign a sinister meaning to a child's innocence 
and their curiosity. And I think too often parents really need to take a moment to kind of check their own shame and their own beliefs Mm -hmm. around certain things before responding. And I think it's okay as a parent to say, thank you for asking me that. I'm going to, I promise you, we're going to circle back to this. You know, we're going to circle back to this tonight at bedtime. Um, You know, you might say, I imagine like, I just want to think about it so I can give you the right answer. And I've Mm -hmm. done that with my boys. You know, one of them came to me and said, mom, you've always said sex can be with a man and a woman, a woman and a woman, or a man and a man. Mm -hmm. But how? How does a man (laughs) and a man have sex, right? Right. And I'm putting out fires left, right, and center. I'm like baking the cookies and I'm feeding the dog and I'm like, is this the time? And I said, we're absolutely going to circle back to this. That's a really great question. Thank you for asking it. And I promise you after dinner and after your brother's in bed, you and I will have that chat. And great. I was able to then just create that, 90 minute window where it could just process in my mind of because as a and I'll be completely uh candid and vulnerable mm-hmm. there was something that came up in me that was like I'm so much more comfortable saying penis into vagina mm-hmm. because that's my experience and right, right, that's right. the experience that was taught to me growing mm-hmm. up right. and I wanted to give him the factual information in a way that this sounds dumb, but that felt age appropriate and also accurate. And like, I just, I caught myself going like, Oh, hang on. I want to, I want to give myself a beat to make sure I give you the right answer. And so we circled back to it at bedtime and I said, you know, like, again, thank you for asking me that question. And I said, sex is a lot of things. And, you know, Mm -hmm. we can use all different body parts. Mm -hmm. I said, you can use people use their hands. You can also get things that adults use and consenting adults that are called sex toys. Mm -hmm. And I said, and if sex is between a man and a man, they get to decide what sex is for them. Sometimes it's making out and it's touching and it's using your mouth. Mm -hmm. Other times it involves a man putting a penis into an anus because Mm -hmm. that feels good for that Mm -hmm. couple. Mm -hmm. And that was enough. And, but again, I needed that beat. So just for parents listening, don't feel like you have to have, the perfect script ready to go. Give yourself a moment and know that you can put a pin in it and come back to it. No, absolutely. Because again, like the thing is, I mean, part of your discomfort is also like you have probably had never done it before, right? <laughs> like yeah. nobody, because it's not a question we usually ask. And I think what's so great about the answer, and again, what I would encourage, even if someone didn't want to go into the details of like anal intercourse, is this piece about it can be a lot of things. Because instead what happens is, you know, it does, and it's interesting now that gay marriage is legal in, in many places because it used to be gay men, men having sex with men. When I was writing, I guess that was the second book. I can't remember which book it was. And I'm here in Canada and it had been a decade that gay marriage had been legalized. And when I would ask young people, what does gay mean? They would say a man can marry a man or a woman can marry a woman. It's very funny because it's like that. There's a lot of gay activists that are like, that is not what that word means. But, but it is what it means to some people. And so... You know, so, but again, so, but what you've done is disrupted this idea that, that gay, gay means anal sex, which of course is not true for everyone. Um, and you really, and again, you're really like, you've, you've like, you're centering desire, right? So what is sex? Sex is about something that we do ourselves or with some, or with someone else that's for pleasure or sometimes for making babies. And if it's for pleasure, it should be about whatever we want, right? It shouldn't be about what other people say. And, and we're not really that much farther along, like, like, like with more LGBT, LG, 
LGB inclusion and then a little bit more trans inclusion, we're still not very that very far along in terms of really kind of liberating desire in that way, right? So there's still an understanding that like straight sex is this, gay sex is this, lesbian sex is this, queer, and even queer sex, like queer sex is this, right? As opposed to like, it's whatever you want it to be, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting, you know, I think for some parents and for some children, that might be too much information, the conversation I just shared. But some, yeah. the thing I was, you know, sort of mentally having a chat with myself about was, well, hang on, Kylie, you pride yourself on being inclusive. That's mm-hmm. something that's an important value of mine. And you're very comfortable saying penis into vagina. Mm-hmm. So get comfortable saying penis yeah. into anus. Like, <laughs> and that was kind of my way of thinking, but I know that's, that that's not for everyone. But, well, oh no, but, it's, but, 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 but nor, and nor does it have to be. That's the other thing. Again, like we should be clear as, as parents are listening that like the goal isn't to do it like you do it. The goal is to do it in a way that feels like it matches, like it, like that is, sort of tolerable in terms of your comfort level and that matches your values, right? I'm very clear with parents. Like, I don't think that like feminism or sex positivity means that we have to be okay with everything um, at all, right? I think boundaries, and we all need boundaries, right? So, it, and, and again, if someone asked a question and you're like, I cannot answer that question, then you can say, that's a great question, which I cannot answer. Um, so let me think about how we're going to get there. Um, and this is actually a good, another big tip I have. And it's, it, sometimes it's closer to teen years, but maybe not for everyone, is it's really important for all of us to have a trusted adult in our kids' lives who can answer questions that either we we can't or that our kids don't want to ask us, right? And so this is particularly like once for kids that are going to start embarking on dating or exploring sex, um, there's stuff they're not going to want to ask their parents, no matter how. I mean, my dad was a sex therapist and my mom was a librarian and they were totally open to any questions. And I did not want to ask them questions about this stuff at all. And I didn't really have, I mean, I ended up having trustworthy friends, but what I do now, like even from my kid who's eight, there's like, the, uh, you know, I, there's, a, there's a couple trusted adults and they actually have, you know, they don't have their own phone yet, but they, they have access to knowing how to text their, these, these adults who I trust and they trust. And, um, and, and they can turn to them and, you know, and, and then those adults, they know the deal, which is that like, they're going to keep those conversations private as long as they're not concerned about my kid's safety, right? So if they're concerned about safety, then they know that they will share that with me and my kid knows that and they can know that. And it's really, it's essential because we can't, there's all sorts of stuff that we are not, we are the wrong people to help our kids with. Like, especially once dating starts, you know, and our kids start dating people we don't like, we're not the right people. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I recently was listening to a podcast and I don't, I haven't fact checked this, but in the podcast, Mm -hmm. the conversation included a little bit about how at a certain age, children actually kind of become repulsed by their parents. And that's Mm -hmm. part of health, part of healthy development because they do have to detach in a way. And like the thought of my kids being uh, repulsed by me doesn't feel great, but it makes sense. And I think that's such a helpful tip to go, okay, how am I building out a village around them? And it can Mm -hmm. be a village of one or two, but just people that are safe for them to talk about, talk to, excuse me. So I think Mm -hmm. that's a really, really great tip for our listeners. 
Yeah. 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 And it's great. I mean, if, and if you, and if you can find people who have skills that you don't have, then that's even better. Right? Absolutely. Like, outsource, outsource, yeah, outsource. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, there's so many things that I could just sit here and talk to you about for hours and hours, Corey, but I know that it is getting late where you are. Um, do you have, I have a, you have a little more time. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, in that case, I'll quickly say you've got three okay. books. You've got yes. What Makes a Baby, Sex yes. is a Funny Word, and You mm-hmm. Know Sex. Right. And I'm sure they're all I, – I have Sex is a Funny Word. I think I need okay. to get You Know Sex. That'll be my Soon. next purchase. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but when it comes to your book, something that I really appreciate is the variety that's included. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not just about what – you might think it's about you really do go into feelings you go into consent also talk Mm -hmm. about body parts and something I really loved uh from sex is a funny word is this swap that you bake and change private parts to middle parts right right I think that might be really helpful for our listeners if you don't mind chatting about sure no 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 no. yeah so so, so we recommend you not use private parts, and there's a few reasons for that. Um, for one thing, so so as we de- with the way we define privacy, like the way I define it in my work and in the book, is that private means it's something that you're choosing to keep for yourself, or you're choosing to share with someone else. Um, and so, any part of our body can be private, right? So often we use the term private parts partly as a way to do education around safety, right? So we, we want kids to know if someone tries to touch their genitals, that that's not okay, right? And that's, that's basically so. And so that's where it kind of comes from. And so we talk about, so, okay, so what are the problems with private parts? So number one, it's too vague, right? So when we say private parts, which parts are we talking about? Some books say, it's it's the parts that are covered by your underwear and some but then but then they have to fight, try to figure out how to talk about breasts and nipples so they say sometimes it's a part that's covered by a bathing suit but that's not true for all kids so when we want to keep kids safe from the potential of sexual harm and sexual predators we need to be specific we need to be accurate and and we can't let our squeamishness about sex and bodies get in the way of our kids having the information they need to protect themselves from people who may try to harm them so Private parts are not good in that way because it's like, well, what parts is it? Is it so? It's the bum, it's the front, it's the back, is it the chest, and is it the chest just the chest for girls? And what about boys? And then, of course, if you have kids that are trans or non-binary, what about them? So that's one problem. The second problem, as I mentioned, is that we actually want kids to know that their whole body can be private. That is not just when someone tries to put their hand down their pants. It's actually when they get a touch on the shoulder that feels strange or weird, right? Because what we want as a way of protecting our, helping our kids protect themselves, us protecting them, we want to be developing from a very early age, their sense of their kind of inner voice, their instinct that the way someone's looking at me, the way someone's talking to me or the way someone's touching me just doesn't feel right. Now, of course, just because that's the case, I'm not saying that that means that the person who's doing that is going to offend, but but that doesn't matter. We want kids to start developing those flags. Like, what's going on here? That's too much. That, 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 that hand is on my knee for too long. Um, um, and so, um, so when we say private parts are what, are what you should be worried about, we're actually telling kids to ignore all the touching of all these other parts. So we want them to know, actually, your shoulder is a private part if you don't want it to be touched. Your arm is a private part if you don't want it to be touched. So instead, we use middle parts because we do still need, it's useful to have language about genitals, basically. Um, it's genitals and like and also nipples and breasts. Um, um, and of course, the anus is part of that, uh, the sort of genital region. It, it, it's useful to have a term. So 
uh, we just came up with middle parts because it's in there in the middle of the body. We were just like, okay, if we're, you know, because we were drawing pictures and we're like, so what, what is true about this thing? Because again, we also wanted to capture the chest. Um, because of course, for part of what, you know, you're doing a bunch of things when you're doing sex education, part of it is protection and thinking about sexual safety. But part of it for me is also thinking like these readers are one day going to be adults. I want them to feel good about their bodies. And of course there are parts of our bodies that have way more nerve endings and that are more likely to be erogenous. Um, and there's nothing, again, there's nothing wrong with sort of, we don't talk about that in the book for seven to nine year olds, but but first of all, there's nothing wrong with planting that seed. And second of all, I would also say that kids already know that, right? So the other thing that is important for everyone to know is that kids know a lot. The reason the kids know a lot about sex, they, they don't know that word necessarily. And I'm not saying that they know a lot about adult sexual activity, but like every kid knows that there's parts of their body that feel good. And there's parts of their body that feels bad. They feel bad. Every kid knows something that will make their body feel good and something that makes their body feel bad. That is the kind of basis of a kind of talking about sexual response, right? And also talking about consent, because consent means knowing what you want, right? So part of that's like, well, what would feel good, right? So if you have no idea what would feel good, it's hard to consent because because consent is about like me actually saying the things that I want and giving people permission to do things with me. Um, so yeah, so that's the sort of, so I really like middle parts. I don't use private parts at all. Um, and that's the kind of reason for it. I love it. I love, love, love this terminology, this language that you've given me middle parts. I wish that I had known that when the boys were much younger, but moving forward. And I know for our listeners, that's going to connect because Yes, any part of your body should be private should you choose it to be. And right. pri private doesn't have to mean secret and shameful and no one else gets to enjoy this space with you. Right. It's, it's your, your choice. choice. Yeah. Yeah. Now, let me say, this come, This doesn't make things easier because the, because the because there's a couple of things that I should mention and I should flag. One thing, of course, is that when we tell kids that they have body autonomy, then they want to assert that. So it absolutely can happen then. And then, of course, a kid is going to say, a kid that, let's say that is at an age where you do not want this child exploring other people's bodies and you don't want other people exploring their bodies. And, but a kid, I mean, this, this, I've heard this from many parents where a child will say, well, it'll be, it'll, it'll turn out, they will hear from school. They were touching each other and their, their hands were down their pants or something like that. And the kid, and so the, and when asked by the parent, the kid will say, well, it feels good. I don't mind that he's doing that. Mm -hmm. Like I, yeah. so it's, but at that point, it's still fine to say like, okay, well, that's great. It's good that you know what feels good. And also at your age, this is actually a decision that we're still making for you that this is, this is this kind of touch. This is not, is not, we're not okay with it right now. Right. And it's absolutely going to be something you're going to get to choose later on. But what, now what I have to ask is that like, if you want to explore that part of your body, that's for you alone. Right. So when you're in the bath, when you're in bedroom, um, you know, I mean, absolutely like, Touching oneself for pleasure is something all kids do, right? And I use that, and I described it that way because, you know, I, you know, masturbation to me, that word, the word masturbation to me means intention, right? So, so older people, like te like teenagers, certainly, um, you know, and maybe by like nine or ten, or maybe maybe even younger, I don't know, but like they'll like they'll know that touching their genitals feels good. Often they'll do it to soothe themselves to sleep. Um, that's fine. What even younger kids do, it's not really masturbation. It's not really sexual in that way. And I think 
again, we need to, it's important for us to notice these differences um, because it is a path, right? Because our little kids, they're not sexual, right? And, and again, obviously, if we see people sexualizing them, that, that is a flag and we want that to be a flag. Um, so, yeah, so I, I do want to say this whole thing about um, um, saying like private means it's your choice. It can be complicated. The other thing is to be really honest or, you know, direct about this is, of course, that in some families, kids do not have a choice about hugging or kissing relatives, right? So in our book, we do deal with that, but we don't say, I don't say you should, no one should ever, you know, I, I don't, I don't say to parents, never make your kid kiss their grandparents because I'm, I just don't know. I, I, who am I to say that yeah, to people right, in their families? So, uh, you know, so we instead, we, we have this chapter where people can kind of deal with it and talk about it. But again, I don't think that, I think we can help our kids develop healthy boundaries and also talk to them about the way things work in the real world and in our families, right? And say like, yes, I get it. You don't like, you know, but I'm always there. And so I'm going to ask you just to do it because it's the only way they understand that you're loving them or something. I mean, you know, again, lots of parents, I should say, think I'm wrong and think you should never do it. But can- there are so many there are so many nuances, so many yeah. things at play that all need to be considered. And that's why there is no one amazing solution for all of these situations. But I think curiosity and being open and knowing that if you foster open communication with your children, it's only going to lead to a stronger relationship and keeping Mm -hmm. them safe and all of those things. Absolutely. Yeah. You are a wealth of knowledge. Thank you so much for your time, Corey. I'm going to pop a link in our show notes uh, so that people can jump over and grab themselves your books. I recommend just getting all three, get the trilogy, (laughs) then you're set. (laughs) Uh, Where can our listeners connect with you? So I'm on social media, just using my name, Corey Silverberg. And then I have a website. So it's just CoreySilverberg.com and they can find me there and they can. And part of what I do is just answer people's questions so people can contact me through the website. Perfect. I'll pop a link in our show notes. Corey, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Today's podcast episode was recorded on the land of the Bunjalung Nation. In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 